impact and fixed spec, this is Founders Anonymous, the podcast that helps you move your business up a gear. I'm your host, David Trott. And I'm Chris Lees. Okay, welcome to Founders Anonymous. I'm Chris Lees and coming up this week, shit or hit? We look at that moment when you come up with a brilliant new business idea and then you say, will it work or will it just end all in tears? David makes a tit of himself on TV, and I crack out the glow sticks and the neon body paint. So sitting next to me is my co-host, David Trotz. David, how are things going this week? Yes, good, good. I'm having a good week this week. It's all very creative and exciting. How's your week? It's been going all right. It's been going all right. There's been a few bumps in the road, but we'll talk about those in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. Cool. And we're going out to the pub tonight, aren't we? We are. One of our co-working colleagues, Flo, is leaving us, very tragically. And we're going to go out and we're going to go to uh, a pub in Croydon. And this is actually my second visit to a pub since February 2020. Can you believe that? Good times. Well, I mean, as long as you bring the glow sticks and neon body paint, I think we're all in for a cracking life. Sure, it's going to be good. (laughs) So have you ever felt giddy with excitement about that new business idea? Found yourself daydreaming about which fancy new watch or Lamborghini you're gonna buy with all of your newfound wealth. Whether you're gonna shoot yourself up into space in a rocket, because apparently that's a thing now. Well, stop it, because David think it's a stupid idea and a stupid use of money, and that your idea may not work anyway. He's a bit of a Debbie Downer. So, David, why are you so bitter? Yes, I'm very bitter about this, and I'll tell you why I'm bitter. I'm bitter about this, because I've just been through this process. Right, I had what I thought was a genius business idea and I've been really excited about it for the past, I don't know, two months, maybe three months. And I've put loads of work in and I've tried to flesh it out and get it to a really good state where I can then go and talk to people and say, what do you think of this? Um, And then last week I went and spoke to people, people that are uh, well known in the industry that I know and trust implicitly. And I asked them about this idea and they said it was shit. Okay. Um, So I'm sitting here a little bit bruised and battered and licking my wounds a little bit. So I feel a little bit bitter, but I think it's a good time to examine what happened, what I could have done differently. And for any listeners that have got business idea and think, how am I going to figure out if this is going to work? This is a good episode. Yep. Cool. And of course, subscribe for future podcast episodes for more business (laughs) ideas like this. Little, little. (laughs) Exactly. So, so tell us a little bit about the feedback that you got. Then, how consistent was it? What was it? Okay. So, I think before we get to the feedback, I just want to talk a little bit about the process. Okay. So, this all starts with that moment where the light bulb goes off in your head, and you think. I've got an idea. Yes, I've got an idea. It might be for a brand new business. It might be for a brand new product or service. It might be a pivot for what you're doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. But that moment of enlightenment happens where you go, right, there's something new here. What happens then is stage one is the bit that I did, which is personal validation. Yep. And this is where you, you sit and you ruminate on the idea and you start thinking along the lines of, I can imagine how this is going to be amazing. Yep. I think I found a gap in the market. I can't believe no one's thought of this before. This, this is incredible. I'm going to be a millionaire. People are going to buy this in their droves. And then I can fire myself off into space like notorious baldy space dick, Jeff Bezos. Right. Can I just, can I just pause for a minute there? 
Did you see the shape of his rocket ship? I, I mean, it's deliberate trolling, isn't it? Like, he knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing. There is no way on earth that got through a design process without someone saying, mate. <laughs> it's pure, pure trolling. I refuse to accept that it was accidental. Yeah, okay. De- absolutely definite. Okay, fine. So, you sit there, you get carried away. And I got to this point where I was looking at the size of the market and I was doing the figures about what I can charge for this product. And I got really excited. So excited that I didn't do stage two, which is figuring out, is this going to work or not? Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the idea. The idea was to create a membership community for shopping centers and their marketing managers. Essentially a resource hub so they can stay on top of digital marketing trends, get the latest ideas, get inspiration for posts, get inspiration for campaigns, and it was gonna be brilliant. Now, on the surface of it, it feels like a good idea. But the second I went out to some big names in retail and started saying, I've had this idea, what do you think? They were fairly blunt with their feedback. Mm -hmm. But on reflection, were 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. So... This is the first point of stage two. You ask the market, you ask your existing customers, you ask people that you hope would be customers. Okay, the important thing is that you've got to find trusted voices. It's not enough just to talk to everybody because everyone has different levels of expertise. And as we know, the market itself isn't always a great indication of what might work. Yes. You know, so what was the Henry Ford quote? If I asked people what they wanted, they'd have asked for a faster horse. Yep. Um, And the same with Apple and the iPod. Like there are times where the market doesn't know what it will accept or what will work. Right. right? And we we talked about that actually in, I think it was the last episode where we talked about the idea that if you go out and ask people, describe what it is that you want, you're unlikely to get good feedback because people are actually pretty poor at imagining a different reality. Exactly. So... You find these people and then you go out and you ask them, you say, here's my idea, what do you think of it? And this is the bit that I'm really bad at. You've got to be prepared for difficult conversations Mm -hmm. and you've got to be prepared not to hear the answer that you want. Okay. And one thing I want to know is how do you get better? How do you get better at having those difficult conversations? How do you get more resilient hearing feedback that you don't want to hear? How are you with that? How do you find that? I have developed something of a, of a thick skin over the years about people saying, oh, that won't work. Because a lot of people are actually stuck in a rut and they can't see any alternate ways of doing anything that they're doing today. I think the trick in those types of conversations is to focus on what is the problem that you're trying to solve? So if you've got a great idea, you think it's going to be attractive to people because there is a set of problems that they have today and there is a prize that they're going for in the future, but they are blocked from getting what it is that they want by a series of hurdles. And your task, your product or your service needs to remove those hurdles and allow them to get to where it is that they actually they want to get to. So the conversations that I try to have is very much around validating the set of problems that I think people have and if possible putting some sort of measure of pain on them. Right Now that could be a time spent pain or it could be a financial cost pain or a missed opportunity pain. There's some sort of cost. Try to quantify the value of that. And also validating with them what are the prizes that you really want. In an ideal world, if you could wave a wand what is it that you would have? It's all about validating the pain points, quantifying them if you can, validating your understanding of the objections or the hurdles that they face between getting one to the other, and then asking the question of, 
does this solve your problem? Yeah, exactly. So we move away from this idea of me turning around to someone and saying, here's my business idea, rate yeah. it out of 10. Yeah. And them saying, zero, you moron. Okay, so we're moving away from that. Yeah. So we don't go out and try and validate the idea. What we do is we go out and validate the problems exactly. and the pain. You validate the issues that they face. And then you try and figure out what they want to achieve. Yes. The prizes, as you say. Yeah. And you validate that. And once you've got those two things, then you say, what's stopping you from achieving that at the moment? Yes. What's in your way? What's, what's, getting, what's getting you stuck? And once you've got those three things in place, then you can say, here's my idea. Or you can take it a step back and say, I need to build something that addresses those three things. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And there's been a couple of times now in my in my career at Fixbeck where I've been thinking about in exactly those terms. I know the pain points, I know the prizes, I know the obstacles in the middle. I come up with a great idea that I get very excited about. And you know, instead of going out and just pitching the idea, instead you go about it in a slightly different way of pain point, prize, hurdle, this is how I'm solving that and you tee up that conversation to give them the context, what you end up with is much better, more actionable feedback that frankly doesn't offend, <laughs> right? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't upset you. They're not, they're not saying that's a shit idea, David, <laughs> right? What they might say is, you know what would really help is a slightly tweaked version of exactly what it is you're pitching. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so one thing, one thing that you may hear is someone says to me, David, that idea I don't think will work for these reasons. Mm. And what I hear is, David, that idea won't work because you've got it wrong, because you've failed at understanding Yes, yeah. Right, and that, that's where it becomes personal and quite, quite disheartening. And it's getting away from that. The more you can validate ideas, problems, and obstacles, and the prizes that people are chasing, the less you're taking it on the chin personally. So if the whole point of this episode is what should I have done differently? Lesson number one is I've validated the wrong thing. I've tried yeah. to validate the idea I had rather than the situation of, of who I wanted to talk to and to sell to, right? Yeah. So that, that's point number one. And it kind of feeds into lesson number two, which is going out and researching, but not researching around my idea, but looking for those pains. Yes. One of the greatest market research tools is to look at the reviews your competitors are getting and figure out what people aren't happy with. Because what you're doing there is you're identifying a pain point that isn't being met that customers want. Yes. That sort of research, going out and trying to find those problems, because people are asking them. They're asking them on reviews pages. They're asking them on Reddit. They're asking them on Quora and all sorts of question and answer sites. They're asking them on Stack Overflow. All of those questions are out there. All of those pain points are out there. And that's a great resource that we never look at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This reminds me of a course that I went on a very long time ago now, probably 15 years or so ago, by a, a company called Pragmatic Marketing. Um, and in this course, they, they define it really, really succinctly. They said that the job of a product manager, the person coming up with the products and services, should be to uncover market problems. That's it. Yeah. That is the job title, because it's only by understanding the market problems that you can possibly seek to address those problems, right? And so you should be doing absolutely everything that you're saying, looking for the hidden nuggets of information on Stack Overflow or, or complaint sites or something where people are expressing some sort of frustration with the status quo. Yeah. Those are the things that you need to be trying to tackle. You should only select products which satisfy three criteria, and I've fallen foul of this many, many times. The product should solve a pain which is urgent, 
pervasive and people are willing to pay to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that that sort of feeds in. So a lot of the feedback I got over this was, for example, shopping centers that have an existing agency in place. And for me to then turn around to them and say, I've got this bank of resources that you need to know about. The conversation would immediately then be, well, why is my current agency providing that for me? What am I paying them for? Yeah. It kind of, it's almost like a fourth category. Like it's a, it's a problem, but it can be solved easily by an existing service or product or a mm. relationship they have, I guess. Well, they, they believe somebody else is already solving that hurdle for them or should be solving yeah. that problem for, for them, right? So if we go back to the whole pain versus price thing, they understand that they need these resources. They think they're already paying for them. And, and now you're kind of challenging that and they're going, well, what am I paying for then? Well, right? exactly, exactly. And I can quite, I can sit here quite arrogantly having looked at the output of a lot of agencies that work with shopping centers in the UK and say, actually, the stuff they're putting out is pretty shit. Mm. And I know that we're better than that. And I know the service we provide, the knowledge that we provide will be better than that. But I've almost created too big a hurdle for me to jump over because I've got to, I've got to sell that concept before I can sell the solution, mm. right? And the second I start doing that, well, the other agencies are just going to close ranks and say, you know, we can do that. So number one, I wish I'd validated the right thing. Number two, I wish I'd done the research and tried to figure out what those pain points are. Point number three, which kind of isn't necessarily relevant in my case, but I think is a really important point that we don't talk about enough, which is it's entirely possible to sell something that doesn't exist yet. You can go out and test the market with an idea and see what sort of reaction you get. Mm. And you don't need to do what I did, which is sit there and flesh out exactly what sort of content that community is going to have what topics I'm going to cover, what media I'm going to produce and start scripting those things out only to then have conversations and find out, well, no fuck is going to buy this. So yeah. why, why have you wasted the past three months of your life doing this? I mean, that, that is a, I would say that is a very fine line. You're absolutely right that you need to validate and know that this thing's going to live before you spend too much time and energy on it. But it's if people respond positively to what it is that you're pitching to them, they're going to want to know the next step. And what you can't do is be caught with your pants down, frankly. And again, that might just be in the way that you tee up that conversation. You say, look, this is an initial conversation. All I'm doing at this point in time is validating the idea. As long as you're open with people about exactly where you are in the state and in the uh, uh, progress uh, report, then everything's fine. Yeah, sure. And I guess it kind of gets you away from that mindset of, I've got to have completed something before I even approach the market. Mm. So... My lessons from this and yeah. lessons that, that anyone listening that's coming up with business ideas or pivots can take away from this. Learn from my mistakes. Number one, validate the problems, not the idea you've got. Mm -hmm. Do your research, figure out what those problems are, figure out what the pain is, and deep dive into that however you can. Uh, don't be afraid to test the market. You can sell something that doesn't exist yet. Yep. Um, and lesson number four, which is the biggest lesson for me, which is that none of this is meant to be easy, right? This is this is a hard process. So don't beat yourself up over it. You shouldn't take it personally. At you least, shouldn't take at it least you're the one out there thinking about things and that puts you above, you know, 99.9% .9 of other people who just don't think about how to change the world. So, Well, precisely. That's well, a positive well, thing to end on, isn't it? <laughs> yes. The, the positive lesson we're going to end on is that I, David Trott, am above 99.9% .9 of other people. <laughs> That's going to be a quote. I can what see a, that coming out. What a great note to end on. Awesome. Cool. <laughs>
So the sun is out and the beer gardens are open and things are looking bright. So that means it's time to ask what's been pissing us off this week. Chris, has anything infuriated you recently? So I, I find myself in a bit of a banking problem uh, this week. And it's actually not, it's not quite me. It's, it's actually my wife. So my wife is a US citizen. So she has dual nationality. So in the US and in Israel, they decide that they want to tax their citizens irrespective of where they are in the world. Right. Um, so my wife is a US citizen, has to file taxes in the US every single year. Um, they never collect any tax from her because she's underneath the, the threshold to do that, but she at least has to do the paperwork. What's, what seems to have been happening is that the US government has been putting the screws on financial institutions around the world to ask those institutions to, uh, I guess, report back to them about US citizens so that they can double check the submissions that they're getting in. Yeah. And so this week, we actually had an email from one of the investment providers that we have, ISAs up the wazoo with this particular <laughs> provider, pensions and all sorts of stuff. For seven years, we've been building up all of these savings pots in my, in my wife's name. And essentially, they gave us 14 days to shut all of the accounts purely because the US government has put so much, so much uh, onerous restrictions on these providers. They would rather annoy their long-term customers by shutting their accounts almost overnight than fill in the US tax forms. Um, and so it's, it's really, really frustrating. I went through this, you know, setting up a bank account recently, a business bank account, where my wife was one of the directors. And again, the banks won't touch her at really? all. They just refuse to open bank accounts. And I don't, you know, I don't really understand who's benefiting. I, I, look, I'm sure the U.S. wants to claim tax of overseas U.S. nationals. Maybe, maybe go after the billionaires before you go after, you know, people like my wife who, who doesn't ever quite meet the threshold to even pay tax in the U.S. So it's, it's a, there's nothing that anybody can do to solve this. I just want to like throw it out there as a rant. It's horrible. Yeah, oh, and I, th I think it's a good topic for a rant. Those sort of petty, irreconcilable, bureaucratic difficulties mm. that I have to say the finance sector is plagued with more than anywhere else. Right. Like, when you encounter them, they're immensely frustrating. Right, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. You can't appeal to anybody because it's, you know, law in this particular case. It's yeah. US law. Nothing you can do. So is there a tier at which, say you were a multi-billionaire, is there a tier at which you just employ an accounting firm to find loopholes for you? Like, is, is there like an upper tier of the ultra-wealthy that aren't plagued by these problems and it's just the rest of us that have to deal with them? No, I, th I think that in the specific case of the US one, I don't think there is a loophole because they've designed it that way. The, the loophole used to be that if you really were that wealthy as a US citizen, you simply just gave up your citizenship. Um, even that they've closed because there's actually a tax on giving up your US citizenship now. Just take a, a chunk out of your wealth as you give up your passport. Okay, right. Here's an idea for you to go and validate. Yeah. It seems to me the problem is the relationship between the US and the third state. Yeah. Right. So maybe the idea is just to move, rather than moving all of your assets offshore, move them into space. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just do a Bezos. Yeah. And just take all of your assets and launch them into the sky. Yeah. I could just I could convert it all into Bitcoin, put it on a hard drive, fire that up. I could do that myself because that's like just a small little hard drive, right? Fire it up, never see it ever again. Well, there we go. Awesome. That's one for the Amazon Launchpad yeah. Accelerator Program. Get Brilliant in touch, idea. guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a winner. <laughs>
It's time to close Netscape Navigator and put our AOL CD back in its box and look at things that have kept us amused this week. Chris, what's distracted you from the all-consuming horrors of work this week? So, so this isn't related just to this week. It's something that I've actually been enjoying the whole way through lockdown, which is, so I'm, I'm a big fan of house music. You know that, David. You've taken the mickey out of me many a time for it. And one of the great things that ha- that's happened in, in house music over this lockdown period is that all of the DJs who love to play these really big clubs were unable to do so. And so what they started to do is they went onto YouTube and they started to record themselves doing videos, essentially sets. And you can go and look at them, like listen to, you know, one hour sets from all the various different DJs. So there's one guy, for example, Ramo. Uh, Normally he is standing in a field somewhere in Germany uh, as the sun goes down. And it's literally just him. So DJ Dex, just him trying to look entertaining for, a, for an hour dancing. But, you know, the music's fantastic. But you've got all sorts of people and I've really enjoyed listening to a lot of these sets over the, over the lockdown period. I'm actually quite frustrated, uh, very selfishly, for uh, the unlocking of nightclubs. I really, I don't like this. Because that might force me to actually go to a nightclub. And I'm way too old to go to a nightclub, frankly. I mean, it, um, feel, it feels like there's space for both of these things, right? Like, it feels like there's space for, for the nighttime economy and some sort of ad hoc alfresco German house. Maybe, right. maybe a little bit of purple disco machine in my uh, in my uh, in, in my side thing. But right, I'm this- really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by how you experience this. I've seen some of this content. I've seen it on Facebook. I'm. I always feel. How are people experiencing this? Like, I, do you stream it to your TV and sit on your sofa with a box of Jaffa cakes, or do you get pilled up and dance in the garden? Like, what's, <laughs> how how are you how are you experiencing these streams? It's interesting the the um, the opinion you have of my life, <laughs> David. Okay, uh, to be to be entirely honest with you, it is just background music while I'm working. Uh, I'm so, I'm sorry that's despite the billing at the beginning, I don't actually have any neon body paint on me. Um, <laughs> the uh, it's yeah you know it's just good background music. It's brilliant stuff. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> and what about you? What about you? Have you uh, what have you been doing this week? I saw you on TV. Tell us about that. Yes, yes, I had a TV appearance this week. So I was approached by a producer on Twitter. Um, they were looking for someone to come on to come on to essentially the Turkish equivalent of Newsnight. So uh, apparently, I'm quite big in in the Eastern states. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> it must be it must be the beard. Okay, and they wanted someone to come on and talk about how COVID has impacted consumer behaviour. Right. So as we're coming out of restrictions in the UK, how has consumer behaviour changed? Mm-hmm. It's a great topic. It's one I feel passionately about. And it was me and two academics on the panel, and these two academics were two astonishingly lovely people that absolutely knew what they were talking about. Okay. They absolutely knew their shit. And my area of expertise is predominantly UK retail and UK hospitality. So I felt like I had a bit of a gap in my knowledge, i.e. What, what does the online landscape look in a broader sense as we come out of lockdown? So how are different sectors faring with online sales as physical retail starts to reopen? Okay, mm-hmm. so I put about three or four days worth of really hardcore research into this. Okay. Like I really, I dove deep into the data and online trends, right? And it turns out I didn't need to do any of that because I think the extent of the questioning was something along the lines of, uh, do we buy more stuff online now than we used to? Well, okay, I'm a yeah, yeah, I can answer duh. that. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the, the most embarrassing part 
of the recording was where the host, <laughs> the host asked, how has your behavior personally changed? You personally, yeah. how has your behavior changed? Yeah. And my answer was, oh, I miss going to the pub. <laughs> I love going to the pub. Pubs are brilliant, aren't they? Oh, yeah. The other two, do you know what they said? Go on. They said, it's really brought home the value and importance of family. Oh, so, right. oh right, okay, that's a better answer. I should have said that. So anyway, it, it was it was a really interesting experience. I, I think it's the start of my burgeoning media career. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I think there's a, a few gaps in GB News at the moment. Uh, <laughs> there, there might be some places there for you to go as well. Yeah, I think one look at my Twitter feed and I'd be <laughs> editorially cast out from GB News. It was interesting. I don't think I'm going to name the show. I don't think I'm going to link to it in the show notes or even on our social media because I want to see what the broadcast looks like first and then I'll decide whether to share it with the rest of the world. Okay, will you share it with me at least? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you've got a story or want to ask us a question, you can message the podcast directly by emailing podcast at impactbiz, that's B-I-Z co.uk, or you can get in touch on Twitter via Founders Anon Pod. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Have a great week. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Founders Anonymous is an impact and fix spec production. Mm-hmm.